Hey, welcome to the All In Podcast. Whether you're a returning listener or just a first-time listener, I really appreciate you being here. Make sure that you hit subscribe so that you get notified for all the next episode drops. Today, I am joined by Jose Hernandez, former baseball player, entrepreneur, and millennial money mentor. In this podcast episode, he shares a side of himself that he has never shared publicly. Now, Jose runs a very large Instagram account entitled The Millennial Money Mentor. He has a financial university that he runs educating people on finances and wealth building. However, his background is being a baseball player and going through some tough times mentally. Jose grew up in Venezuela and then at a young age moved to Puerto Rico and then to Florida. And baseball being a major part of Latino culture, he put a lot of pressure on himself to perform. Baseball is what ended up paying for his school and he had the hopes of playing baseball professionally. In this podcast, he talks about the mental struggles that held him back, what he went through when he ended up transitioning away from baseball. And he gets very open about his recovery and the process of dealing with these mental health challenges. I think a lot of athletes who have ever struggled mentally, whether it's just with mental performance or with mental health challenges, will really relate and be inspired by Jose's story. So without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. All right, welcome to the All In Podcast. We have Jose Hernandez here. He's a former baseball player, an entrepreneur, and the millennial money mentor. How's it going? Hey, Natalie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Could you just briefly walk through what you're doing now before we kind of go all the way back to your childhood? Yeah, definitely. So my my main business right now is I run a financial education, online financial education platform called Finance University, designed to teach people the ins and outs of personal finance, investing, creating long-term wealth, and just helping them understand how to really manage their money. The point of that was to create something that people could use to learn these subjects that maybe they didn't learn in school or they don't have a background in finance. So uh, it's not only easy to understand, but also easy to apply and, and continue to use throughout their lifetime. So also very active on social media. My main platform is Instagram and I go by the Millennial Money Mentor on there. General mission is just to spread financial literacy, helping people understand what it takes to start building wealth and investing and managing their money and all the other things that comes with your financial journey. Yeah, I, I love that. I think like finance and social media, two things that you touched on are things that blows my mind are still not taught in school because yeah. one, we have a lot of young kids, athletes who are spending so much time on social media. It's obviously a big part of our lives and we have absolutely no education on it. And then similarly, like finance and wealth building is such a massive part of our lives that we also have no education on it. So what in your life kind of inspired you to fill that gap? Yeah. So I am an immigrant to the United States to my family. So we came here from, from Venezuela and, you know, growing up in a pretty or very actually adverse socioeconomic environment, you quickly realize how important money money is in, in your life and what it's like to go without it. And, uh, you know, a lot of things that I went through growing up, they, they built some character in me, but when I got older and was lucky enough to, to go to school, thanks to baseball, I, I chose finance because it was something that I could manage as a student athlete, but also something that I knew was important and I knew I could do well with it in the real world if my athletic career ended. And uh, I knew that it was something I could help other people with. So after my, my baseball career ended, I started 
working as a financial advisor for a pretty large investment advisory firm and got some real world experience and, and did the work and just decided that I wanted to do it at a much larger scale and start sharing it with people that probably haven't been investing their whole lives and they're younger or they just don't know these things. So I felt that tug and, and decided to, to go all in on it. And I'm glad that I did. Awesome. No, I, I love that. And I'm glad that you did too, because I think there's, I mean, that education is so needed in this world. And so it's, it's great to hear that you're filling that gap now. Now I want to go like back to the beginning, because I'm also from Venezuela, which I think yeah. none of my listeners probably know that. Um, and well, my mom is from Venezuela, I should say right. I've, I've been once, but yeah, like it's, it's such a, it's a crazy place and people don't it understand is. what's going on there. Could you go back to your childhood and kind of explain what living or growing up in Venezuela is like? Yeah. So I didn't spend too much time there. I, I grew up in central Florida, but I came to the United States when I was about four or five. So I remember a little bit of it, but we were lucky enough to get out before it was really starting to deteriorate. It's sad because Venezuela actually has a good economic history. You know, they're an OPEC country. They produce petroleum. And in the past, it's been a very good business to be in. But with the change in the government going basically communist, it's it's unfortunate how it's happened and what it's done to the people. And really, there's no reason why Venezuela should be in the in the place it's in right now. But I still have family there that I talk to from time to time, and it's just very real how how bad it is. And it gives me a lot of perspective about how good we have it over here. And the fact that you have opportunities here, whether you come from money or not, you know, down there, it doesn't really matter. It's like, you know, it is what it is. And um, I think that all of us should have some perspective. If we live in a country like the U.S. or Canada that has opportunity that, yeah, it's harder for some than others. And I think I can attest to that, but there's still a chance. Yeah, that, that opportunity is just like, that's something I'm grateful for every day. Like I journal with my gratitude journal. I'm like, just opportunity is a word that comes up a lot. And I think we do take it for granted um, here in North America, uh, in Canada and you in, in the US when we do look you know, in perspective that helps us because uh, just so crazy. Like for example, right now, I think you have to basically like bribe the police to get gas. Yeah. And they were like a major producer. Yeah. I remember when I was 13 and I went there and I'm 27 now, they're like gas was cheaper than water. Yeah. And it's just so mind blowing. And I think I saw a picture the other day of someone who was there. They had like so many bolivars on their desk mm -hmm. and it all equaled up to like $50 US. Like imagine yeah. carrying around. Like It's crazy. The like, inflation is so bad. It's just, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. So I do think like for you growing up somewhere like that probably gave you some great perspective as you've spoken on. And um, for me just as well, like we have a lot of family back there. My grandma finally came up here, yeah. um, but just hearing about these things, it does help you like have a reality check in a sense. Definitely hundred percent. So I want to go back. So you, you then you moved to, I think you said before, like you told me offline that you moved to Puerto Rico, correct? Mm -hmm. And yeah, then so, Florida. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't spend too much time in Puerto Rico, but that's actually where my parents met. So father's Venezuela, my mother's Cuban. They actually both lived in Venezuela, but they met in Puerto Rico. It's kind of a funny <laughs> story, but uh, that's where they met. And my, my father was a pilot. So he flew airplanes and uh, he was based out of Puerto Rico. But um, we eventually moved to Puerto Rico, spent a year or two there. My younger brother was born in Puerto Rico, and uh, my dad was just getting things together to help us move to the U.S. So I came over as a resident 
and my mother did too. My brother was born in Puerto Rico, so he had citizenship automatically. And my father had gotten his uh, citizenship through being naturalized. So um, yeah, from Venezuela to Puerto Rico and then Central Florida where, where I spent the majority or all my childhood before moving up to, to Georgia. Yeah. And Florida is a big kind of baseball place yeah. essentially. So, and Venezuela is as well, oh, yeah. although there's the war of baseball and soccer uh, yeah. for sure. So how did you get into baseball? Yeah, well, definitely the culture, right? Uh, and like you said, um, baseball is huge in, in Venezuela. And it's funny because it kind of stands out. South America is more about soccer. Yeah. Um, you know, we have some decent soccer players too, but yeah, it's just baseball is the thing. And uh, my dad really from, from as young as I could remember was, was I want to say pushing baseball on me, but kind of pushing baseball on me. But um, yeah, that's, that's how we got started, you know, in the front yard, just learning how to hit and throw and play catch, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, just continued to play ball throughout my childhood. And, and I, when I got to, to high school you know, I realized that that was going to be my opportunity to go to college, right? Cause my parents were going to be able to pay for it. And uh, I worked extremely hard at it and uh, was lucky enough to, to land an opportunity to play collegiate baseball uh, and then, you know, get educated thanks, thanks to the sport. So it's definitely a big part of my life. And there's a lot of things that baseball has, has shown me that I've been able to transition into the business world and the real world that I'm extremely grateful for. Yeah. What position did you play? I was a catcher. Oh yeah. I, I, so I actually used to play boys baseball when I grew up. And I would pitch and catch and, uh, yeah, uh, the amount of time that you spend just squatting alone. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like people don't even realize how hard being a catcher is, especially I think as you get older, like when you're yeah. younger, like you see little kids and right, they right. sit in that squat position, like naturally, but when you're older, like even now I'm like, Oh, my hip, like yeah. it hurts. And I see players in the MLB and I'm like, how are they still like that mobile? It's a tough spot. It's definitely very physical. And the the more advanced you get in, in the game, you're involved in more plays and there's more pressure involved with it. And you, know, you have to make sure that the ball doesn't get behind you. You have to drop down and block pitches in the dirt. And there's a lot that comes with it, but it is, I think it's a good, it's funny because it's a good position that teaches you leadership too, because you're basically in every play, you're working with the pitcher who is basically the most important player on the field. So yeah, definitely a tough position, but it teaches you a lot. And uh, I think there's only certain types of people that can do the job. Yeah. So was your goal to go pro or was it just to kind of, did you have to make that transition or decision of like, maybe I'm not going pro, I'm going to focus more on school. Yeah. So I always say like the only thing I really ever wanted out of life was to play baseball. That's really, (laughs) really all I ever wanted. I mean, it was always my dream as a kid to, to play major league baseball and uh, I always joke around and say I went to college to play baseball and happened to to study finance along the way. But yeah, you know, when I was in school, I worked hard to line up opportunities for myself if my career didn't continue, which ended up being the case. But yeah, I mean, you know, one thing about my career that I look back on is I always said that I never wanted to look back and say, I wish I didn't, or I wish I worked harder. And that's definitely not the case. I gave baseball everything I could. And that's a lot of people that played baseball with me. And they'll always say like, dang, Jose is the hardest working guy I ever met. Um, and some of that's definitely transitioned into to what I do. But I think that what I look back on the most, I don't want to say with regret, but I wish I maybe 
did a little bit differently was maybe addressed some of the some some of the mental health challenges that I had to work through and didn't work through until later after my career. And I just, you know, you go, you look back and wonder what if I had addressed those things when I was still an athlete, because I was the classic case of extremely physically talented guy, you know, just could really catch and throw, could really hit for power from the left hand side of the plate. A lot of, a lot of good things that you would want in, you know, an athlete. And the thing that just really held me back constantly was up here. Right. And um, that's what I look back with. I don't want to say the most regret, but maybe the most frustration because I really wish it was the case where, you know, someone told me, Hey man, you know, you got to stop playing because you're just not talented enough. Uh, I'm not saying that I was going to be a first round or anything like that, but you know, a lot of people were kind of surprised when my career ended And, um, you know, it was just because I was physically talented. I worked extremely hard to become that physically talented, but, um, you know, it, I, uh, I really struggled mentally. And I think a lot of that had to do with the pressure I felt because I made an identity out of being a baseball player. That was all I saw myself as. And, um, you know, the relationship with my father, was very one-dimensional for the most part. Love my dad, nothing against him. But I think a lot of Latino baseball players can attest to this. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. And he's always talking about, you know, this is our culture. This is our blood. This is who we are. This is what we do. So you have that pressure. And then I had the pressure of, you know, one of my biggest motivations in life is to to help my parents financially. I was like, man, you know, the big leagues are going to help me do that. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of the anxiety that I had to work through was developed in my childhood because of the environment that I grew up in and all the pressure and the stress and all that. So I didn't start unboxing and unpacking all this until after, because I got to the point where I needed to get some help for my mental health. I just wish I look back and uh, when I look back, I wish I'd just maybe talk to somebody when I was 18, right? Not when I was 23 and I was already over with. Um, that's the thing I look back on my career with, uh, again, not the most regret, but just the biggest what if. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people that feel that same way, but I guess it is what it is. Yeah, no, I really appreciate your vulnerability of sharing that because I, I relate deeply. Like that's very similar to my story. When I left, I was still part of the national team. Yeah. Ultimately, like I, I missed the 2014 Olympics, but I was super young. 2018 was more my trajectory, but I walked away in 2015 and there was a lot of questions and what ifs and what ifs from my teammates. And uh, one of one of my teammates ended up winning silver at the 2018 Olympics. Yeah. And we were kind of at the same level back then. Um, and so it's, it is hard, I think with, with those mental health things, because if you tear your ACL and you know, it's never going to get back, it's very visible and easy to be like, Hey, this is changing me. I can't, you know, ever get back. But with mental health, it is such a, what if, and you just don't know, like, did I experience more of this mental health once I walked away or was it because of the mental health that then I had to walk away? If I would have changed it, would, you know, I've been able to last longer. And I think that is something that people who might not have gone through that or just look from an external perspective don't really understand um, because it isn't as visible as, you know, a physical injury. Yeah, I know. It's so true. Um, You know, the thing that I struggle with the most, and I know there's plenty of people that probably struggle with this too, is I had a very, very good arm as very, very, you know, uh, 
professional caliber type arm from behind the plate, but I struggled with the short throw to the mound. And mm-hmm. it's again, very frustrating because it wasn't like, you know, I, I couldn't hit a curveball or, you know, I just didn't have the arm talent or I wasn't good at receiving. It was just like something that is so small and it, it, it really hindered me <clears throat> in high school and in junior college, I lost a year to it. <clears throat> and I lost a year to it when I was playing division one baseball and it was kind of shaky with it my senior year in college. And, you know, scouts see that and they're kind of just like, ah, I, I don't know, you know, so um, all that I think was just like the, the culmination of all this pressure and just the general anxiety that I was having to work with just off the field. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't walk away from the game early because man, there's so many times that I wanted to. And, um, it's, it's unfortunate because I've talked to so many people that have gone through the same thing, pitchers, catchers, infielders, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just like the, the mental side is what, what really killed me. And, um, you know, I don't know, I, I did a lot of different things to try to, to work through it. I would get through it sometimes and, you know, I'd be able to play a season, but then it'd come back another season out of nowhere. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's uh there's no real way to explain it other than it's just extremely frustrating at the time. Yeah. I, well, I think as athletes, like we can be our own big, like worst critics and um, that internalized pressure, like you hear sometimes of athletes talking about, well, you know, my parents or my coaches, they forced me to do this, but often it's like, it's, it's yourself, right? It's like that culture that you've built in in yourself and your own mind of like, I have to make it for my family for like, I've invested decades into that. And sometimes like, it's that, that just doesn't allow you to just go out there and like have fun and play without the nerve. Yeah. And that's, I really wish I had found a way to do that because it was almost like, I don't even know how to explain it other than like, I was just like playing with like a parachute behind me. It's like my full ability never really got, I was never in flow state, right? We talk about flow state and being a, a high performer in anything. I was never in flow state because of just like this constant anxiety that I was having to deal with like on the field, you know, of course I was a classic, extremely good guy and in, in, in like a combine or, you know, showcases and, or whatever. But, um, yeah, it was just, that's exactly how I des- describe it. It's like running with a parachute behind you where, you know, you can still see the ability. I was still able to be somehow good enough to play division one baseball on scholarship, but that, that the mental side just held me back so much. Yeah. Did you, did you guys have like sports psychologists? Because I know now like baseball seems to be taking a big um, prioritization in a sense of bringing in a lot of sports psychologists. They've seen how important it is. I think, you know, baseball is kind of 99% mental. It is. Um, Yeah, definitely. But I think back then, like even, I know, like, I think we're the same age and back then it wasn't as prioritized. Like it's, it's made leaps and bounds over the last three, four years of how much they prioritize the mental side of training. So what was your experience with that? No, we didn't really have anything like that. I I considered it kind of, um, but you know, it's, it's such a, like I said, it's such a weird thing because there's nothing really a coach can tell you. It's like, other than just like, you know, make the throw. Right. Um, But it's like, it's not, it's, it's not something that you should have to coach. I wish it was something that you could coach because I would have worked extremely hard at it, but it just wasn't. And, um, you know, the, the help that I should have gotten was, you know, finally talking to somebody. Um, and that was after my athletic career ended and, you know, my life was really kind of taking a downward spiral at that point in time, uh, not only because of the 
challenges already had, but all this, my career just suddenly ending and um, just kind of just, you know, I guess you can call it like an ego death that, mm-hmm. um, that was hard to, <clears throat> hard to deal with at the time. But yeah, I, I wish, even if it wasn't a sports psychologist, I wish I just had the conversation at 18, you know, um, because I think that it wasn't, yeah, definitely because of baseball, because, but all these other things that contribute to, you know, anxiety and, and depression and all these other things that, that some of us have to work through and it just kind of manifested on the field. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the interesting point. I think as, you know, being a full-time athlete, that's basically even as a student athlete, like you're spending most of your time on the field. Yeah. And so that's where you see the issue. And so, yeah. and so you think it's a sport issue, but you don't realize there could be this underlying issue. And then I think yeah. when you walk away from the sport, you realize, Oh, now you're not spending yeah. all day on the field. Yep. This is showing up in other ways. And you're realizing, wow, it wasn't just a sport issue. Yeah. And that I think that does leave the biggest question of what if, because you thought maybe it was a sport issue and all of a sudden you realize, yeah. no, it could have been this underlying issue that maybe I could have seeked help for earlier. Yeah. And I, I'll just say, I am glad I eventually got help because um, I needed it and it's better to get it late than never. Um, so I'm still a big advocate for people that, uh, maybe they transition away from the game and they feel like, oh, it's too late now. Like whatever, like I I would urge you to maybe reframe that thinking a little bit. I got to the point where I absolutely needed to get some help and I'm glad that, um, she's my girlfriend, my fiance now at the time, she was basically forcing me to go get some help. And I'm glad that I did because, you know, my, my life was basically falling apart. Um, I, was I made the transition over to the professional world. I was, you know, a part of a very large investment advisory firm. And in my mind, that was like, okay, well, you know, I didn't play major league baseball. This is the closest thing to it. And, um, you know, coming from where I come from, like no one in my family's worked in finance. My parents really don't speak English. They don't know the difference between a stock or a bond. So it's like (laughs) this massive, massive opportunity for someone that comes from very little so I was like, man, you know, this, I'm just going to run with this. And in honesty, I was just, I was using it to fill a void. Um, and I was really, really struggling there. I was doing very well. You know, I was performing at a high level and, um, you know, I was dealing with the things I was dealing with, but I had to take a step back at one point in time when my mental health was stabilizing a little bit and realized, man, you know, we're just using this as like a, as a, way to fill the void in our life that's been there for a couple of years now. And, um, you know, I'm glad that I came to that realization because it's what helped me become clear-minded enough to decide to you know, start what I'm doing now on social media. But yeah, that, that was a very, very painful period of time in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, takes such maturity to realize that you're using this, you know, kind of fill a void. Did you, yeah. Did those things like manifest in your life, those mental health issues at like immediately after you walked away from the sport or did it kind of like, I, I, I guess in my perspective or in my experience, mine was like, it was really low. I seeked a lot of help, but then I, for example, I competed in CrossFit. And so I, that was kind of like my crutch in a sense that filled the yeah. void until the last year and a half or so when the pandemic has happened, yeah. I had a shoulder injury. And I realized this is the first time I've ever not competed in anything. And yeah. I thought, Oh, like I was using my business, my yeah. CrossFit as this void. So yeah. I thought that I'd heal these other parts, but not necessarily yeah. those. So I'm curious to know if like you seeked help right away or was it kind of like 
after you were doing the the corporate thing for a couple of years? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So it was it was it was weird. So um, I my my be, one of my best friends he ended up going to the Mariners in the first round my senior year, and um, he his agent was pretty nice and you know kind of was keeping me on the loop because I did have people that were interested in me and organizations that were interested in me. <clears throat> but, um, you know, he's got, you know, you might be kind of like a day two or three type of call type of thing. So just, just stay by the phone. And I did, you know, I watched the entire draft and what the day two, day three, you know, they had, um, I don't know if they still do it or not, but they had like this draft update or thing on Twitter. And it's like name by name, by name, by name, by name. And, you know, of course my dad's watching it. And, um, when day three passed and the last pick went through, you know, I, my name wasn't called. <clears throat> it was, it was tough. Um, and honestly, my dad took it harder than I did, which I did not feel good about at the time. Um, it was a, a mix of a diff, different types of things. It was number one, like you don't deserve to be upset. Like I'm the one that was, you know, putting in the work and all the hours and the bus rides and the adversity that comes with being, um, you know, a baseball player and, you know, me dealing with these these challenges on my own, I felt like. So I, I really had like some resentment towards him for that a little bit. Um, but I also felt guilty because like, you know, he was definitely living his life through me. And, um, you know, again, a lot of that just comes down to our culture, right? You know, I have a son that plays baseball at the high level, like, <laughs> you know, so he like, he was, he had it rough and, you know, baseball still a really sensitive topic for us, even if it's been like five years now, which is crazy. Um, but at first, like, yeah, it, it sucked at that day. It was, that was, that was a bad day for me, but it was almost kind of weird. Cause like at the same time, it felt like a, a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Cause, um, you know, there was just always this constant pressure to just walk away from the game. Cause you know, it's like, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's like, you're really good at something, but there's some, this minute thing that's like not even really a part of the game stops you from being as good as you can be at it. And that just eats at you. You know, it's the only thing that you think about at night before you go to bed and like, you know, thinking about like, man, I have to catch some bullpens. I hope there's no one like behind the pitcher and like, you know, these things eat at you. And I really felt like I had a weight lifted off my shoulders and I felt terrible for it at the time, but I could just like take a deep breath and just be like, man, all right, well, you know, at least we don't have to worry about that. And um, it was okay for about a month or two, but then, uh, you know, the reality of it started setting in that, um, you know, I was no longer a baseball player and, you know, all the routines like going to the field and practicing and, you know, hitting in the base in the cages and, and all the other things wasn't there anymore. So I had one, one more semester of school and I finished that out and I was really starting to struggle at that point in time. And, um, yeah, I was, it was, a, it was a really bad place. And uh, I was lucky enough to line up that opportunity with, with the firm. So kind of was just, you know, trying to deal with it at that point in time, but I just, you know, kept getting worse and worse and worse. And, um, you know, my girlfriend who was my fiance now, she was just telling me like, you need to get some help. This is bad. And, um, I went and got the help and, um, you know, basically the first meeting, you know, um, and I'm actually meeting with him after this call today, but, um, he's, he's like, yeah, man, you, you have some major depressed, depressive disorder. Like you're extremely depressed right now. Like this is a serious issue and 
we need to talk about this. And, um, I didn't really know how to deal with it. I like, I knew I was like depressed, I guess, but, um, maybe going back to the culture thing, you know, in Latino culture, we don't really talk about mental health, right. You know, it's like, you need to be a man. Um, you know, you need to man up, you need to, you know, do all these things that we consider manhood and, never in my life had I talked to anyone about my mental health. I just thought I was being soft the entire time. You know, the whole baseball thing, struggling with the, the, the throw of the mound. Like I thought I was just being soft. I was like, man, how can you not do this? Like, mm-hmm. um, and all the anxiety I felt, I thought it was just weakness. Right. Um, I'm glad now that I'm an adult and can see things in hindsight, I understand that that was not the case. In fact, the thing is a sign of mental toughness that I did not walk away from the game as many times as I wanted to because of this thing, you know, I gave it a hundred percent and I never stopped working hard, but um, yeah, it was, it was a lot to, to deal with. And I had to, I'm, I'm glad that my doctor uh, really helped educate me on what, you know, mental health really is because, you know, I, at the time really just didn't think of it other than just like, you know, like I said, you're being weak, you're being soft, but he educated me on understanding that there's a lot of things that go into this. Uh, you know, there's the environment you grew up in. I grew up in not a great one. I'm thankful for my parents and everything that they did. And we'll always, you know, very, very, be very appreciative of that. But, you know, when you grow up in poverty, <laughs> there's a lot of things that you go through as a kid that, that suck um, and stay with you for life. And I still have to unpack and work through a lot of those things. And there's the genetic side of it, right? Which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, some of these things are passed down. And, um, you know, I, now that I've seen my parents, I can understand a little bit better. You know, maybe I see some things that they struggle with and they don't even know. So there's that part of it. And then, you know, there's the things that happen to you in life as well and how you unpack those and everything that play a role. So when we talk about chemical imbalances or whatever you want to call them, yeah, that that's what's happening, but you have to understand why. And I didn't understand why. I just thought like, man, I'm just, you know, I'm worthless. I'm not good, you know, whatever. Um, so it took that and, um, you know, I, I actually got on medication too, which I'm, I'm glad I did at the time because I needed it. I mean, I know there's a lot of debate around this, the subject and I was very hesitant to do it because I'm like, well, I, I'm just going to use this as a crutch. Like, you know, this is more confirmation than I'm just being weak, but I was in a very bad place in my life. It was, it was like the lowest part of my point in my life ever. And, you know, I, I don't want to be dark. I just don't know if I didn't get help. I don't know what would happen. Right. Um, so I'm glad I got the help. And I was on the medication for a couple of years when I was with Merrill Lynch, the firm I was with and being an advisor in very high pressure environment, but at least I could operate. Right. Cause I was a mess before like I, I had, problems talking to people, you know, because the anxiety would just like, like be shaking on the inside, just even thinking about a conversation with someone, which was weird because I was never really that way. And I'm not super extroverted, but I've always been well, good about speaking to people and, and, you know, presenting myself well, but I just was struggling really bad with that on top of the anxiety and depression and anxiety can really play off of each other. So it was just a combination of that, those two things. And I was in this new environment and, you know, the wealth management industry, it, you have to be sharp all the time. And, you know, it can be actually a very toxic environment too, which is a part of the reason why I walked away. But again, I could at least operate. So, you know, I could operate at a high level and, and, and do the things I had to do. And then, you know, when I got home, just 
kind of just deal with it. Um, and that's when I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, what, what are we doing here? You know, are, are we, yeah. are we living a happy life? And the answer was really no. I mean, anything you're going to do that's, that has a lot of upsides can be hard. So it wasn't that, but you know, I had to look at some of the people that were a couple years ahead of me in the industry. And, and um, I had to look at like their lives and whether they're happy or not, and whether I saw myself being happy being that way. And, you know, that's kind of where I started feeling like this weird kind of tug to, to do something else that's much more difficult and, um, you know, requires more of me. So, yeah. Um, I don't even remember the original question, but yeah, actually, yeah, I do now, but yeah, I, it was, it did come on gradually and then all of a sudden at once. And, um, I, I needed to step in and do something about it. Well, I, I really appreciate your openness to talk about it and especially yeah. openness about talking about medication, because I do yeah. think there is still a taboo even within like people are trying to break the stigma about talking about yeah. mental health, but there still is that stigma about medication. And yeah. uh, something I try to talk about and I should probably talk about more because I also took medication. It's been maybe two years that I've yeah. been off of it, but it was similar. And my first experience was I didn't want to. So I worked with my therapist. I said, no, like I've, I haven't heard good things. You yeah, know, yeah. you hear those things, right? Um, I actually ended up spending all my money and going to Bali and just going on a solo trip. I felt amazing. Like a weight yeah. was lifted off my shoulders. But then I came back and you're back in that same environment Yeah. and nothing has changed. Like you spent a month away, but you come right back. And after a few months, all of a sudden I realized even the meditation I learned, all these things that I did, it was still just super heavy. And you start to yeah. accept that it is a chemical imbalance. It's not yeah. like just this thing that, oh, like I just decide I don't have anymore. It just doesn't necessarily work that way. And so uh, I know some people haven't had great experiences on medication, but yeah, I, I personally sure. did have, uh, like it was really helpful for a, a yeah. few years. Yeah, so on that subject, I, I don't know, it's, I just... Growing up, I was the type of person that I really cared about what other people thought. Like, I always just wanted to make sure, like, that I didn't make people upset, you know, like, you know, I was just kind of typical trying to just be a good person and, and um, you know, that, that type of thing is good. But uh, I carried that throughout my entire athletic career and wanted to make sure my dad was happy with me about how I was playing and making sure that I was looking good for scouts and all this other thing. And, and when I got to the firm I was with, there were some people that definitely stuck their neck out for me to even have an opportunity to, to have an interview there. So I felt responsible to make sure that I made them look good. So all this pressure, right. And the interesting thing about me deciding to walk away from that was it was, it was like a, it was an important moment in my life because it was felt like the first time that I had kind of just like made a decision for myself and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to care less about what other people think about me. And I'm going to make a decision that I feel good about for myself. And I made the decision to leave the firm mainly because they didn't allow me to post on social media. Um, long story short, you know, Wall Street compliance is very strict and I decided that I wanted to start doing the social media thing. And like literally the next day, someone found out about it. I got a call. They brought me to the office, basically gave me an ultimatum, which way are you going to go? Cause you can't do that here. Mm. And um, yeah, I was just like, I'm just going to, I appreciate the opportunity. I know this is once in a lifetime. Statistically, I have no reason to be in the seat, but I'm going to go do this other thing. And it was just really symbolic of like where I was in my life, I guess. And 
I probably should have been a little bit better about it, but I also decided to get off the medication at that point in time. And like I said, I probably should have talked to my doctor a little bit more about how I went about it because the withdrawals were very bad. I remember I really, really struggled with the withdrawals from the medication, you know, the nausea, like the the zapping kind of feeling. The zapping, yeah, yeah, no one understands that. The kind of like weird shocks that you feel and then like you kind of like, I I forgot, I can't really describe it, but kind of like how you feel like you're there for one second, but you're not kind of like you're I don't know how to explain it, but, um, I struggled with that a lot, but like, it was, it was a weird time in my life. And a lot of people were, I think were like wondering, like, is he okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, why are you going to walk away from this like golden opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity and, and do these other things? Like, you know, that someone that does that's probably not well. Um, but I just decided to say, screw it. I'm gonna do it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry if I make anyone upset about this decision, but I feel like this is something that I'm much more compelled to do and something that I feel like I can help a lot more people with and, you know, be a lot more proud of. And, and I did it. And, um, yeah, I think that that goes to say, yes, if you're going to get off the medication, I think you should be maybe talk to your doctor a little bit more about (laughs) how you're going to do it. You should probably wean yourself off of it, but yeah, it was just like kind of in a split decision. I'm leaving this company. I'm getting off this medication and I'm doing this other thing. So yeah, looking back on it, it's crazy, but yeah, that's, that's exactly how that happened. Well, it's, it's awesome. You've made that transition and especially walking away. Like anyone I've heard who's walked away from that level of corporate uh, type thing. It's, it's hard because it is true. Like it's, it's kind of like a one in, in a million spot, yeah. like to get into that in the first place. And you think, you know, society puts pressure of like, yeah. every, you should be happy just to be here. Yeah. So it kind of goes counterculture, but I also appreciate you sharing about that withdrawal because I, I haven't heard anyone else talk about it like that, but I had yeah. the exact same experience where I was actually experiencing this weird thing with the medication that was interacting with like a, I had a, a bronchitis. So I got mm-hmm. even a pro, um, like um, an antibiotic, mm-hmm. but from a different doctor than my normal. So she didn't really like think about the consequences. And so then I just stopped taking my medication. It was in between two major CrossFit events. And uh, people keep asking me like, why that was your biggest CrossFit event ever. And you like, just weren't physically you know, prepared. And I said, well, yeah. I-, I couldn't train. I had to have my boyfriend drive me around for weeks. I couldn't even go to the gym because I was getting the zaps. I thought yeah, I was going to yeah. faint. Yeah, it is absolutely crazy. So uh, yeah, as you know, open as we've been about medication and you've been about that story, I think it is true. You know, people should make sure they check in with their doctors because uh, maybe just use our stories as a warning about that. As, uh, yeah, definitely go to the doctor for, for if sure. you're going on or going off. Yeah, 100%. So do you find that that your transition, when you transitioned from sport, maybe made it easier to then make that similar decision to transition away from corporate because yeah. you're, you've left something so that you've done for so long? Yeah. Um, it almost makes it easier to be like, hey, I, I'm my, a free person. I can make my own decisions. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because I, I realized what I was doing was filling a void. So that made sense. And then I didn't really make the, I I was, I was getting there. I felt myself getting there, but I didn't make myself, I didn't make my identity out of being a financial advisor for this company, uh, which was my, really my intent in the beginning. It's like, well, I'm just going to be financial advisor for this company for the rest of my life and make millions of dollars and that's it. But um, yeah, it was, it was definitely easier. And because I didn't have the same type of pressure culturally, I guess, from my parents, like, you know, I told my parents that I was leaving and they're just like, 
really? Like, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and I, I say it jokingly, um, but like, I feel, you know, it's kind of dark, but I say it jokingly because that's how I deal with it. But I feel like, man, there's really not much more I could do to let them down more than not playing <laughs> baseball anymore. So, um, so yeah, that, that made it a lot easier to walk away. I still struggled with the idea of people thinking down on me. And I, for a couple months, I had nightmares about like, you know, what people were saying about me and I you know, heard things were said about me or whatever, but it is what it is. You can't spend your entire life worrying about what other people think about you because whether you do good or bad, people are going to have something to say, you know, so you just got to make that realization and just do what you can to be proud of yourself and the type of person you are, because that's really all you can control. Yeah. Oh, totally true. Like people, you can't live your life just in expectations of other people because um, ultimately it's your own head and in your own head that you have to live with for for the rest of your life. Um, Yeah. I think that people who they might feel like stuck in, in a job that it's important for them to realize like there's a sense of freedom when you do make that step away from something that you thought you had to stick to for life, um, whether it's a relationship, a job, a a sport, when you do make that choice, like, I feel like it's a weight off your shoulders that you can make those choices again. Like, for example, I don't know if you feel like this, but if, for example, you're, uh, what you're doing now doesn't work or, uh, you just decide like you don't want to do it anymore and pivot. Do you feel like that would be just so much easier? Like, Oh, no problem. I can just pivot. Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be a little bit more difficult than leaving the firm because I do have so much wrapped up into it. But man, I'm telling you, there's so many times where I've just, I've just thought, man, I want to do something else. But, you know, I have a business tied to it right now. And I feel like I probably haven't done enough to where I feel like I can walk away from it. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I see myself turning this into something else. You know, um, I just happen to have a knowledge base in a specific thing that's important that I learned from real life experience that I know other people can benefit from. So that's that's definitely um, why I do it. But I'll be honest, I, I don't love social media that much. And um, I can't say that social media has made my mental health better. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in like the money and business and financial space on social media can be super toxic. And, you know, you consume all that stuff and it just, there's, there's, I'm sure there's toxicity in every single niche in social media because that's just how social media is. It's like a way for us to try to show other people what we wish was our ideal version of ourselves, which really isn't true. So I have to keep that in mind personally, but yeah, I'm actually taking a couple of days off social media right now. Cause um, you know, some news I got about a friend this week and it's just been nice to be off of it. Cause um, I just don't like being on it that much as much as I really believe in my mission and what I'm doing with it. Um, yeah. There are days where I want to walk away from it completely or talk about something else that maybe I think is more, you know, interesting to me, but at the same time, I think it is important to commit to things in life and, um, you know, see them through. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but for right now, I'm just going to keep carving out the lane that I've carved out for myself and, and see where it goes. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that about social media, especially from someone who has a large following and has built up yeah. this business on it because similarly, like my business relies on social media. I yeah. teach social media to athletes and uh, we like, I think pretty much the first thing I start with with any athlete is like the mindset around it. And it yeah. still blows my mind that we don't have social media, like healthy habits taught in school at least yeah. 
because uh, a lot of these athletes, especially I'm like, Hey, like this shouldn't be taking away time from your training and from your athletics and your mental health. So our brains are still wired, like from so like the ice age. And so for us to deal with zoom with, uh, with social media, like all it's, it's makes sense why those things are exhausting or trigger our nervous systems in different ways, because we're not really used to it. We're not adapted to it. And so, you know, taking some time off or setting boundaries is important. Yeah, for sure. And I guess one thing I would like to talk about that is people talk about like escaping the rat race and all these other things that we talk about. And entrepreneurship is way too glorified on social media. Everything Mm -hmm. is romanticized on social media, (laughs) especially, especially things like entrepreneurship and social media can become a rat race too. It can be even worse. Um, And I have to be mindful of that. And you know, I am someone that works extremely hard at everything that I care about. And I have put a lot into social media. I've put a lot into my business. You know, my business is my business. Social media is really just an extension of the business. But yeah, I think that people need to realize that if they want to go into this thing full time, which I think there's a lot of incredible opportunities for people that are willing to stick it out and serve other people and and add value. But yeah, there, there needs to be some talk around, you know, how toxic it can be to be on social media full time. And not everyone out there has something nice to say about you, regardless of what type of person you are, what your message is, you know, part of that's understanding human nature, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm in much better place with my mental health than I was four years ago or whatever, but um, I have to really stay on top of it. Cause I push myself extremely hard. You know, it's just how I am. And I have extremely high expectations of myself and everything that I do. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I think I've done an okay job of it, but there have been, a, I can think about two times definitely where I broke down a little bit, um, last summer, like almost back to back, um, because of how much pressure I was putting on myself to build this business and build this brand and put out the content and manage all this stuff and manage the financials. And it's a lot, it's a lot. So, uh, I highly recommend anyone that is in any sort, sort of entrepreneurship, whether it's full time on the side or using social media, like check in with your mental health, because, you know, I like to think of myself as being a very mentally tough person. Um, but you know, I had two very ugly panic attacks last summer back to back. And, um, I hadn't had a panic attack before that in years before, you know, I was struggling with my mental health heavily and it really scared me. I was like, man, am I going back? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, uh, cause I thought, I thought I beat this thing. I thought I was gone. And then you, you, you go through that again and you're like, oh man, here it comes again. So, I'm, you know, I'm in a good place and because I stay on top of it, but I just think that's important for, for people to know. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that is important to set those boundaries with social media and especially knowing that entrepreneurship is romanticized on social media. And until you live it, you don't realize actually how hard it is. People are shouting, Oh, you're going to make all this money and this, and it's not the case. It's similar to being an athlete. Like you got to grind and put in the work and it's all those overnight, um, like those things that people don't see with the lights yeah, are off that then definitely. all of a sudden the lights are on, they see the success, but that yeah. took a long time. And, yeah. you know, maybe for you, it took all the skills that you learned in baseball to then culminate into, you know, what you're doing now and building now. Yeah. And hopefully in 20 years, it's even bigger than yeah. you know, the lessons you learn now will carry forward then. For sure. 
So I want to ask uh, one question about specifically about what you do, um, hopefully give the listeners some a tip. And of course, we, we focus a lot on mental side and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and mindset. So I would love to know because, uh, about the money mindset shift. I think there's a lot of talk about a money mindset and a lot of people go yeah. from a place of, um, of lack in yes. the sense of money, especially young athletes. Like they're scrounging yeah. for money to make their career happen any ways possible. How can they switch into a mindset where, you know, money is flowing, they're abundance and they're open to the possibilities of making more or the possibilities of things going right in the money side. I really, really appreciate you asking that because I, this is something I've had to work on a lot because again, the only thing that was talked about when it comes to money in my household growing up was there's just not enough. It's, you know, it's one thing after another, um, you know, money's the root of all evil. And these are ideas that we need to work through and reframe in our own minds because our beliefs, I really believe are what shape our, our capability in our lives. And if you're always thinking, man, I just don't have enough money or, you know, I can't make money or, or anything like that. That's going to, the subconscious thinking is going to reflect in your results in real life. So I think that you do need to analyze number one, how was money discussed in my household growing up? You know, maybe you're lucky and you came from a pretty nice background and you don't have an issue with that. Great. But if you're not that lucky, then you have to take a step back and understand, you know, kind of like with mental health, like there's something that comes, this has to, this comes from somewhere and uh, reframing. Okay. What are my current beliefs about money? Like, you know, do I see someone that's making money and, and think that they're a bad person? Or do I just not see myself as someone that's capable of making a lot of money? Do I think, you know, it's impossible to make $10,000 in a month or $20,000 a month, whatever, you know, those are ceilings that you're placing on yourself. So uh, understand it takes a lot of work. And just because you start believing this stuff doesn't mean it automatically happens, but it's not going to happen if you don't reframe your thinking on it. So I'm a big believer in the idea that you know, you should see money as a reward for service that you're providing other people. And the either the more value that you can bring at one time or the more people that you can bring value to, that's how you can be rewarded for it. So in the sense of an athlete, right, of course, you're directly compensated by the value that you bring to your organization, whether it's your, your major league baseball club organization or your football player, basketball player, you know, developing your skill set is what's going to directly impact that. Um, but if you're in the entrepreneurial space, then deciding, okay, who is it that I'm trying to serve? What types of problems can I solve for them? You know, how can I show them that I'm someone that can help them with their problems? And I think that's really answering these types of questions, reframing your beliefs about money. I think that's how you start working towards actually going from a scarcity uh, mindset to an abundance mindset and just understanding there's plenty of money to go around, right? You know, there's, there's unli literally unlimited amounts of money with the way that we just print money nowadays. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think that those are all things that we have to work through. And, you know, especially uh, people that came up in not ideal socioeconomic environments, definitely double down on that. Yeah, I oh, appreciate you sharing that. And um, anyone who's listening and wants to find out a lot more about uh, money and finances and managing their own finances, whether you're an athlete, an entrepreneur, anyone, uh, definitely go to your Instagram, which I'll put in, in the show notes. I have two quick questions that I sure. like to end things off on. The first one is, what is something that you do every single day that's the biggest game changer in your life? I am a huge believer in personal development. 
like religiously every single day, I try to do something to expand my mindset, learn more about how the mind works, learn how, you know, how the conscious mind works, the subconscious mind works and how that translates into results in our lives. You know, I'm a big, just love studying that because it can directly impact the quality of your life. You know, it's your, like I said, your beliefs and your ideas, that's what manifests into real life. You know, people say the word manifest with some woo around it, but that's, <laughs> that's really what happens. You know, it's like, what do I see in my mind? And I try to tap into that vision and really hold it in my subconscious mind. It's like, what am I trying to build towards and what type of life am I trying to create for myself? And you know, how much support am I trying to provide my parents and what type of business am I trying to, to build? And you know, what type of person am I trying to become? Like, these are all things that you have to like see in your mind daily and like, connect with them and believe in them, especially when you're doing something that's difficult because you're going to have setbacks, you're going to have challenges, you're going to have failures. And you always have to have that deeply rooted belief in yourself. And most importantly, the vision, because I really do believe that, you know, your, the visions that you hold in your mind, that is what comes to reality. And you need to fix it because if it's one thing the other one day and it's another thing the other day, you know, you're kind of going to be lost. So I think it's good to really commit to that vision and huge believer in taking care of myself. You know, I stay in the weight room and that's one thing that's definitely transitioned over from my athletic career, which I'm super thankful for. And it's big for my mental health too, but I'm an extremely competitive person, especially against myself. So that's a good outlet for that. I'm always trying to get stronger, be in better shape, you know, work on my lifts. And I think those two things are just huge for my day to day. Love that. Awesome. And the last question is, if you were at the end of your life um, and you're looking back, what is the impact that you wanted to have made? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a really good question. So right now, of course, I'm in the financial space. So I, I think of myself as hopefully someone that can really serve as a catalyst for people in their financial journey. So I almost think about it like I've had coaches that I can look back on in my baseball career. I'm like, man, because of the relationship I had with this coach or this one little thing that he taught me, like that made such a big difference in my baseball career, um, whether I realize it or not at the time. So hopefully I can do that through my content or the people that are part of Finance University and what we provide there can see that as well. Look back five, 10, 15 years from now and be like, man, I am really glad that, you know, I started learning these things and applying these things because um, whether I realize it or not, it's really helped me get to where I'm at right now. Um, but other than that, I think that hopefully people can, the people that know me can look back and say, man, you know, he is a good example of someone that can, can really show you that you, it's not really about where you come from. It's just, you know, what type of person you are, how hard you work, how much you believe in yourself and uh, just really be, you know, an example for people that probably come from less, that come from an adverse kind of environment, have a not great story, have an uphill climb and just really serve an example of you can, you can really do whatever it is that you want as long as you're, you're mentally tough and believe in yourself and work through the adversity and, and just keep going. Oh, I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your vulnerability and your sharing throughout this entire podcast. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing. And uh, we'll definitely have your Instagram and all that in the show notes so that people can check it out and learn more about what you do. Thanks, Natalie. It's been a pleasure. 
Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.